All right, good morning, familia. That was depressing. Good morning, familia. Uh, can you please stand uh, for the reading of God's Word? We're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. As you heard, we are starting a new series today called True Identity. This is a seven-part teaching series in which we're going to be walking through most of the book of Ephesians uh, with one goal in mind, that we remember, that we embrace, that we internalize what it means to be in Jesus Christ. That we remember, that we embrace, and that we internalize. If you are a believer, once again, if you are not a believer for the first time, who we can be and we are in Jesus. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, read like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of, of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we also, we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. We said the deposit, guaranteeing our inherent inheritance unto the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Lord, I pray that you speak to us this morning. There's so much here, Lord, for us to understand and absorb and internalize and remember. I pray, Lord, that by the presence, power, and ministry of the Holy Spirit, you turn words into realities in our hearts and to our minds. To the degree, Lord, that our affections are transformed by the power of the gospel. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, you may take a seat. Um, 
I think that if you are a believer, you suffer from something that is called identity amnesia. That's what Paul Tripp says. Um, which means that we are quick to forget that we quick to forget what truly defines us. And the moment we forget what truly defines us, then we start looking for something that will give us a sense of worth and identity. And I got to tell you that as a personal experience, um, I could tell you that there's nothing that is more tiring, more draining, more exhausting, and more depressing than having to live a life in which I am constantly looking for something that will give me worth and make me feel alive. Just to realize that the moment I think I found something, that thing either goes away or circumstances happen or life happens and then I end up with nothing again. So you know what I do? I go look for another thing and it happens again. And then I try another thing and it happens again. And if I'm not careful, that's a description or could be a description of my life. Now, something tells me that I'm not the only one that struggles with that. Something tells me that the church, in a very general way, we all struggle with identity amnesia. Trying to be something like if we in Christ were not already something. And if you're here and you are not a believer, I want to invite you to just stick around. Because I want to argue that what you have been looking for your entire life is the very thing that Jesus offers. An unshakable identity. That being said then, let's get to work. This is the question. What defines a Christian? What defines a believer? And Paul here in this book is going to give us a list of things that define a believer, but he starts with one. He says that Christians are people that are blessed already. So what I want to do is explore the concept of what it means to be blessed under three uh, points. We're going to talk about the source of blessing, the means of blessing, and the certainty of blessing. And what I want you to see right from the beginning is that when Paul, the author of this letter, the letter is writing this, he's using almost like a Trinitarian approach. Talking, he's using the Trinity as a reference. He, uses, he says that the source of blessing is the Father. The means of blessings is the Son, and the certainty of blessings is the Holy Spirit. With that in mind, then, let's just start with the first one, the source of blessing. I want you to pay attention right from the beginning, how is it that Paul starts this, uh, this section in verse 3? He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, word starts with the, word, the, the text starts with the word praise. Now, it's important that you keep in mind that this section is a song. It's a praise and worship song. But I also want you to keep in mind that the word praise here is not just like praise God. The word praise here is almost like an explosion of praise. He's singing and writing this song in a very expressive way. In a way, he's showing how charismatic he is. 
He's singing this thing so and so loud that if he will be here, he will make every single one of us uncomfortable. He will be the guy that comes early to the service, not trying to say anything. <laughs> he will sit right in the front, not trying to say anything. He will start singing, raising hands, and probably waving it a little bit. Most likely, he will start dancing, and most likely, he will be super, super loud. The, that guy will make us so uncomfortable that you will look at him. And you will say something like, look at that guy. Doesn't he know that we're praising Jesus? <laughs> What's interesting, though, is that I think that Paul would know that you are noticing him. And I think that he will be louder. And he would not care. Now, Hannibal, are you speculating here? No, I don't think so. You know how I know that? Because from verses 13 through 14, it's one sentence. It's one song, one praise and worship song of one sentence. It's almost like if Paul comes to church and he starts singing and he never takes a break. And it's almost like if he's singing as, a, as an outburst of praise. And for, for all these verses, he's saying one thing of an, after another. One thing of another without a break. Boom, 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 boom. Everyone will be uncomfortable with, with that guy. The reason why I'm saying this is because the way he writes this thing is overwhelming. Actually, I found myself studying for this sermon all this week. This is like the, the fifth time that I preach on this text. And this is the first time that I felt overwhelmed by it. Especially when I think that it's one sentence. Stop! And I realize that there's so many reasons why he's behaving that way. And as I'm prepping this, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, how am I going going to communicate all of this in the two hours I have. <laughs> How am I going to do this? You know what? What image came to mind as I'm trying to picture Paul praising God. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I'm, I'm assuming you have. Uh, YouTube is full of these videos. When someone has been deployed, someone from the military has been deployed, and they come back home. Um, and for me, especially when it's a woman, that's been away for a few months or sometimes a few years. And when they come back home, you have to see the reaction of their kids. If you've never seen that, you have to see it. It's not like if the, kid, it's not like if the woman or the father is coming and the kid is like, oh, mom. It's never like that. It's always like, mom, and runs like crazy. This is what Paul is doing right here. It is that expression, is that explosion. The question is why? Why is it that Paul is worshiping like that? Why is it that he's being so and so loud? Which makes me feel really good. Here's the reason from verses in verse three. Praise be to the God of Father for Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, notice that this is not an individual thing, it's a corporate thing. 
He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. Notice that Paul is not saying that Christians have some spiritual blessings, but every spiritual blessing. And he paints the picture as God as a father giving his children everything. And that he's holding back nothing. It's almost like if God is telling his children, everything I am and everything I have is yours. There's nothing I have that I'm not willing to give you. Everything I am and everything I have is yours. Every spiritual blessing. And I found, my, I found myself realizing that every time I'm grumbling or complaining or whining for my little life and my little problems and my little issues, is precisely because I have forgotten that God, my Father, has given me every spiritual blessing. That everything I want and everything I need, I already have. That's crazy. In the midst of my struggles, I forget that I have every, can you say every, spiritual blessing. What does that mean? Well, I think that the Bible makes a distinction between the primary blessings of God and the secondary blessings of God. I think that most of us love the secondary blessings of God and we forget the primary blessings of God. I think that the Bible makes it clear. Some of the secondary blessings of God is things that we get for a fragment of time. Things that you could have today, but tomorrow you won't have. Things that you may be able to enjoy today, but in eternity you won't have them. Something like money, goods, health, work, success, achievements. Being, in my case, being a father, being a husband, being a pastor. Those are all good things, and we ought to be thankful for that. But at the end of the day, those are all secondary blessings. And the tendency is to be obsessed with secondary blessings. But what Paul is going to show us here is that what leads us to worship and to live lives that are meaningful is when we pay attention to the primary blessings of God. Blessings that are not conditioned by circumstances. Blessings that are not momentary. Blessings that could not, nothing or anybody could ever take from you. Blessings that you could never lose even if you, lie, if you die. And this is the list. He gives us ten things. And I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get to all of them, but I'll try. Look at here verses uh, four through uh, four on. He chose you. He predestined you for adoption. He extended his glorious grace. He, redempt, he exercised redemption. And he forgives your sins. That's the first part. It tells you right from the beginning that if you are a believer or if you become a believer, it was not because you chose him, but because he chose you. It was his idea. And you might be wondering, why is this a blessing? And this is the answer. Because if that is true, and I believe it is because the Bible tells me so, 
That means that God will never walk away from you. If he chose you, there's nothing you can do that will make God walk away from you. I call this the blessing of security. In the text, it tells you that not only he chose you, but that he predestined you. So you become a children, one of his children. See, when he chose you and he predestined you, that simply means this. That in mind, he had a destined for you. And that would be that you will become his child. Do you know why that's a blessing? Because if you're a believer or become a believer, not only you have a God as a father that loves you and cares for you and protects you, but since he's so committed to you, he's so committed to you as a father that he will do anything in his power to make the best version of you. Even if it hurts. And that regardless of what you do, or you don't do, you never stop being his child. Just as much as my daughters would never, ever, ever stop being my children. You know, as a father, I do that all the time, and I tell my girls, my girls that all the time. I tell them, even if you do the worst thing in the world, even if you walk away from me or you walk away from Jesus, even if you struggle in life, even if you don't value and love what we do and we give you, I want you to know something. In my house, you would always have a room. You would always be welcomed. Always. 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 It is a blessing of adoption. It tells you that we are recipients of his extravagant grace. That's what that word glorious means. And that's a blessing because he tells you that everything in your life, people, everything in your life is an evidence of God's grace. The good things in your life is an evidence of his grace. The rough things in your life is an evidence of his grace. It's the blessing of his grace. The text tells you that not only he chose you, predestined you, adopted you, but that he purchased you. And he gave you freedom. That's the word redemption. And that he forgave you. And that for me personally is such a relief because he tells me that I have this blessing that reminds me that there is no sin I could commit that my father will not forgive. And he reminds me that even when I'm struggling, there's always hope. That is the blessing of spiritual freedom. You know what that means too? That you are not a victim of your own sins. That there is freedom. That we don't have to live bound to our own struggles. That even though that's complicated and we will fall time and time again, at the end of the day, our freedom has already been purchased. Now, Paul doesn't stop there because then in verses 8 and 9, look at what he says. 
Not only he gave us all of that, but he gives us wisdom and understanding. And he revealed to us the mystery of his will. Let's stop there for a second. Because he tells you that one of the blessings that we have that God gives us is that he gives us anything and everything we need to live lives that are pleasing to him. It's the blessing of transformation. But the reason why I wanted you to stop in verse 10 is because I believe that there's one blessing that we tend to ignore, and I really don't know why. Look at what verse 10 says. That he brings unity to all things in heaven and on earth. And all scholars would argue that when Paul writes this, he has two things in mind. He has creation or the cosmos in mind. That's why he uses the word heaven. But he also has in mind the church. And that's why he uses the word earth. What that means then is that one of God's blessings is that he's promising that he is restoring everything that has been broken. That there will be one day in which everything in heaven and on earth will be completely united and everything will be perfect and beautiful and new again. And that's a beautiful picture of what is yet to come. On the other hand, it tells you that that restoration already started. And it started when Jesus came and when you and I became believers. And that God made us one. Now, I want you to understand that because I truly believe that this is a blessing that the church forgets. That in this room, there are people that should never be together. And would have never been together. I want you to understand that the only reason why you have a Latino pastor preaching right now is because God made it possible. I want you to see that the only way that people from different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different cultures and different languages and different ages and different genders and different everything become one family is because that's one of God's blessings. It tells me that I have more in common with a person in Africa that is a Christian, that looks different uh, than me, that speaks a different language, that has a different tone of skin, that has different traditions, that has a different uh, background and life experience, but that I'm more united to that person than sometimes my own family that are not believers. That I have more in common with that person than anybody else. That I could see in that person Family resemblance. Because we have one father and we are one family. That's why racism in the church is a crazy, crazy issue. That's why ethnic preferences, it's a crazy, satanic issue. And that's why the Lord called us to be different. These are all the primary blessings of God that are not conditioned by circumstances, that are not momentary, that could never be taken away from us, that even if we die, we never lose those blessings. 
But I think that there's one more reason why this text is so magnificent. I think that there's one more reason why Paul is praising like crazy. Because Paul is asking the question, why would God do that? Why would God um, extend his blessings to people like us? And I've said this before, and I would always say it again, because it's the thing that humbles the lights out of me. Every time I ask God, why do you love people like us? The answer is always the same. Because. Just because. How do I know that? Because that's what he says in verses 5 and 11. Look at what he says. The reason why he gave us all of that is because it was his pleasure. And he shows me the picture of a father that finds joy in blessing his kids just because. You know, my little ones were, uh, when my girls were little, um, you know, when they're little, you can buy almost anything, even if it's super cheap. That changes over time, of course, right? But when they were little, you could just buy anything that is super cheap, but that you know they like. Carton of milk. You know, you buy the carton of milk, you give it to the kid, and when they're little, they'll be like, whoa, puppy. And I'm like, yes, that's the picture. The blessing is that God wants to give you all of this just because. Because it was his will. And in verse 11, because it was part of his plan. It's because he decided to. He wanted to. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. He wanted to. You didn't deserve it. He wanted to. You didn't work for it. He wanted to. Just because. And because there's nothing that gives God more glory than that. A generous God giving ungrateful people Everything they so much want and they so much need. That's what defines you if you are a believer or become a believer. It is God's love. It is God's grace. It is God's will. It is God's purpose. It is God's plan. It is God's choice. It is God's glory. Only him. That's a blessing. Is that... Is that what defines you? Who do you think you are? Is that what you are pursuing? Question. How do you know if that is true of you? Even if you don't feel it, how do you know if this is true of you? How do I know if this is true of me? Verse 13 says that the way I know this is because I have heard and believed the gospel. And I have heard and believed in the means of blessings, which is point number two. Now, I don't know if you notice this, but when you do a quick reading of this, you notice that there's one phrase that appears 11 times in 14 verses. Actually, one phrase and synonyms of that phrase. And it's the phrase, in him. 
In him you have this, in him, in him, in him, in him. And this is what theologians call union with Christ. And he tells you that the only reason why we could be certain that all these blessings are true of us is because if we are believers, if we heard the gospel and believed the gospel, these blessings become a reality in Jesus. And I want to show it to you super quick. Look at what it says. We have all spiritual blessings in Christ. We have been chosen in him. He predestined us and adopted us through Jesus Christ. We have the grace of God in the one, which means Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption and forgiveness. It is because of God's purpose was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We, bring, we have unity in Jesus because we are all under Christ. This is what Paul is doing, which is magnificent. He puts Jesus in the center of everything. It is because of Jesus that we have these blessings. It is because of Jesus that we receive these blessings. It is because of Jesus that he, uh, he's the one that purchased these blessings. It is because of Jesus' sacrifice that we have um, appropriated those blessings. It is Jesus the reason. This is the reason why Jesus goes to the cross. This is the reason why Jesus endured the cross and endured the shame and endured the pain. This is the reason why Jesus allowed himself to be killed. This is the reason why Jesus goes through everything he goes through. See, at every moment in his life and at every second of the cross, Jesus is thinking this. I'm going to be treated as a cursed person so my people could be blessed. I'm going to be rejected so my people could be chosen. I'm going to be treated like an orphan so they could be adopted. I am going to receive the the wrath of God so they could receive the grace of God. I'm going to lose my freedom so they could be set free. I'm going to break my unity with the Father. Why have you forsaken me so my family becomes one? No Jesus, no spiritual blessings. No spiritual blessings, no identity. That's the reason why Jesus is our only hope. That's, this is the reason why Jesus is our only hope. Uh, listen, I don't know about you, but I, I, I want to be as vulnerable as I can. Because I wish I could say that this was true of me all the time. But it's not. Today, as I preach this sermon, I am completely sure of my true identity. At the end of the day, I will probably forget. Actually, in all this full disclosure, tomorrow, if someone puts a clip of this sermon, I'm going to struggle with this. Because I hate to hear my sermons. You know why? Because I still think that I am what I do. Because throughout this week, I will think that I am what I do. This is what I call an identity distortion. See, sometimes I think that my sin defines me. See, many times I make the mistake of thinking that my failures define me. But let's say that by God's grace, Someone says, that sermon was amazing. And then I struggle in a different area in which I think that my success defines me. 
That's really messed up, people. That's on Monday. But then on Tuesday, I'll make the mistake of thinking that I am what has been done to me. And I'll make the mistake of thinking that all the awful things I've gone through, my pain and my shame and my guilt defines me. That's just on Tuesday, people. But then on Wednesday, I'll struggle with a different thing. I'll think that I am my relationships and my roles and my responsibilities. And I will convince myself that I'm an okay dad. And that I'm a little bit better than an okay husband. And that maybe I'm a decent pastor. And that maybe I'm some sort of effective in what I do. But then something is going to happen on Wednesday. And someone is going to tell me that that's not true of me. And I'm going to struggle with my identity again. But then by Thursday, when I'm completely messed up, the Holy Spirit will remind me of this. In him I am blessed. In him I am loved. In him I am new. In him I am chosen. In him I adopted. In him I am secure. In him I have grace. In him we are one. Can we know if that is true? Look at point number three. The certainty of blessings. So if the first point had to do with the Father, the source of blessings, and point number two had to do with Jesus, the source of blessings or the, the means of blessings, then the certainty of blessings has to do with the Holy Spirit. And look at what verse 13 and 14 says. When you believed, notice that this thing with the Holy Spirit happens the moment you believe. At the same time, when you believed, you were marked with him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. So it's impossible for someone to become a Christian and then the Holy Spirit comes to him. The text tells you, Paul tells you that you become a believer and at the same time, you get sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now look at this, the following verse, verse 14. Who is a deposit, guaranteeing an inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions. So let me summarize it this way. I know... That even when I'm struggling and I remember who I am, is because what the, the one person that makes me feel that this is certain is the Holy Spirit. Because God put him in me like a stamp. You know, it's almost like this. My ethnicity is a stamp. People see where I come from. Even if I put makeup, my accent is a stamp. And I love it. But better than that is the Holy Spirit. That is a stamp that says this. You belong to God. You are God's possession. And that he's the down payment that guarantees that the best is yet to come. 
And whenever I'm struggling, I could almost hear the Holy Spirit telling me, stop trying to be something you're not. You already belong to God. You already belong somewhere. Stop trying to satisfy yourself with tiny little things here. Every time I struggle, I could almost hear the Holy Spirit trying, telling me, stop trying to be such a try-hard. Learn to rest in who you are in Jesus and what Jesus already won for you. Here's a question. Am I the only one that struggles with that? Don't think so. How about if we believe together? How about if we walk through the book of Ephesians and we read it and we read it and we read it until we believe it? Because that's freedom. That's freedom. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, my prayer for us is super simple. Give us such a big picture of all the blessings we have in Jesus. And that we belong to you. That we praise the way Paul praised. Help us believe and understand what we already have given by the Father, secure in Jesus and sealed in the Spirit in such a way that we become worshipers like Paul was a worshiper. Lord, we need you. We all struggle with identity amnesia. We're all chasing after things that are not secure. We need you. Please make it happen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.